Thank you, Mark. I thought when I came in, this left-hand side, or your right-hand side, there's so much more people than, the, than this side, and then the Phillipses came in with 100,000 of them, and then it filled up, and now they've all gone out to Sunday school. This is the youthful side. Uh-huh, uh-huh, yep. I'll go with that. Right, so we're, we're back in Matthew. Uh, we're, we're busy looking through Matthew to start the year. Our focus, uh, which we're continuing from last year, is the kingdom of God. Uh, and we started Christmas time. Matthew's told us about the birth of Jesus, the incarnation, the visitors, uh, the flight to Egypt. He skipped many, many years. Uh, and we saw last week, uh, G1. Last week? Yeah, last week. Um, no, the week before last week, we saw Jesus... Um, at the uh, Jordan River being baptized by John the Baptist. Uh, and we saw how Jesus stands with the broken. He doesn't come immediately to wipe us out, but he comes to make it possible for us to be with him. And then he was tempted by the desert, and we saw it by the desert. He was tempted in the desert by the devil, and we saw that Jesus uh, defeated the devil. He, he shows us how to resist temptation. Uh, which, by the way, if you find resisting temptation easy, uh, write a book about it, and then it will become a bestseller, but I'm willing to bet you're lying. Uh, because most of us don't find it easy, and there's a reason why, and we saw last week that this little bit about Jesus being tempted is uh, something that Jesus himself must have told the disciples. No one else was there to witness it. Uh, and he wants us to, to learn from his temptation, I believe, how to handle our temptations. And then we move on from there, um, the second half of chapter 4 this week. Um, again, John skips, John, Matthew skips time. Uh, the, the time between Jesus being baptized and tempted by the devil, uh, and the time when we come to today in chapter 4 verse 12, uh, some people say it's as much as a year's worth of time that has passed. If you read John, he tells you some of what happened during this time. Matthew is just skipping ahead. Because he wants to, to, to highlight for us the person of Jesus. Uh, some time, as I say, has passed uh, until John is arrested. In fact, uh, John chapter 3 tells us that Jesus was baptizing in Judea before John was arrested. So Jesus, uh, before he went to Galilee, had a ministry of baptizing people and saying to them, Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. And it's not that John the Baptist gets arrested and Jesus says, well, this is getting dangerous, I'd better go somewhere safe. You might, you might think that if you were a cynic. The problem is, Jesus ends up making his headquarters in Capernaum. Uh, and uh, Herod uh, was actually in charge of Galilee. And his base, his, his capital empire, Tiberius, was about 12 kilometers away from Capernaum. So if anything, Jesus is not getting away from danger, he's just going into the thick of it. Although where he is, is thick as well. But Matthew makes it quite clear that what prompts Jesus to go 
to Galilee is the fact that John the Baptist is arrested. And I think he does this because he wants us to see that, that what John was announcing is the same as what Jesus announces. In fact, uh, he uses the same words that John uses. Repent and turn to God for the kingdom of the heavens is near. John announces it. Jesus brings it in the vernacular uh, of that phrase. John's arrest is the sign that it's time to, to step things up again. And Matthew tells us at the end of our passage here that, that Jesus was preaching and teaching and healing and, and things just go from, from, well, from strength to strength, we might say, but it's, it's kind of, uh, things just go into overdrive. Everyone starts hearing about Jesus. And the antagonism starts increasing from this point as well. So he goes to Galilee. Now, does anyone know anything about Galilee? Eric? Do you want to tell us a fascinating tidbit about it? Absolutely. Surrounded by hills, Lake Galilee is uh, it's beneath sea level, I believe. And the hills are something like 800 meters high or something, so you get lots of weather and you know, story of the boat and stuff like that. The other thing about Galilee, which is interesting, um, sometimes you hear that Galilee is a provincial backwater, uh, a nowhere place. But, but it wasn't really that. It was, it was quite a well-to-do place. There were mansions there. Was a, uh, there was a giant theater in one of the places in Galilee. Uh, Herod's capital, Tiberius, had a, uh, I believe it had a stadium, it had palaces, and all this just a stone's throw away from where Jesus sets up shop. It's a, a, an important place, it's on the trade route to the Mediterranean Sea, so you've got lots and lots of people coming through uh, Galilee. Uh, Matthew quotes and tells us that it's uh, the region of uh, Naphtali and Zebulun, they were one, two of the twelve tribes, they settled in the far north of Israel, near Lake Galilee. Uh, Nazareth was in Zebulun. Capernaum was in uh, Naphtali. And Luke chapter 4 gives us some details about what happens in Nazareth. Uh, if you look at Matthew, he just says to us here, Jesus heard that John the Baptist was arrested when he heard that. He left Judea and returned to Galilee. He first went to Nazareth, and then he left there and moved to Capernaum beside the Sea of Galilee in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. Uh, what Matthew doesn't tell us, Luke tells us that, that Jesus goes to Nazareth, Luke chapter 4. He goes into the synagogue, he, he takes up the scroll of Isaiah, he reads it, he says, uh, this scripture is, uh, is fulfilled in your presence today. I'm, I'm here to, to set the prisoners free, to, to give release and freedom. And, 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 and basically, he sums up his whole ministry. And then he goes on and starts suggesting that maybe this ministry is going to reach out to the Gentile world as well. And the people there uh, get a bit miffed at that and they try to kill Jesus. But he slips away because it's not his time yet. And then he moves and sets up base in Capernaum, says Matthew. Matthew doesn't tell us any of that detail. He just says, well, he went to Nazareth. Nazareth, by the way, was the place where Jesus' earthly family lived. It, it's where he grew up. Being based in uh, Galilee was a fulfillment of prophecy, and, and I believe Jesus knew that when he went there, but, but the prophecy had a point. There was a reason why Jesus would go to Galilee. Part of that reason is that 
being on a trade route, the news of Jesus would spread far and wide, as indeed it did. Matthew chapter 28 uh, sees Jesus dead and raised from the dead back in Galilee, sending the twelve disciples, sending us out into the Gentile world. Galilee was a place uh, surrounded on three sides by Gentile nations. It was kind of like this, this jut into the Gentile world. Now, if you know anything about Jews and Gentiles, the Jews are not biggest fans of the Gentiles. They, they think them pathetic. At least they did back then. Um, and the Gentiles weren't too fond of the Jews either. Gentiles are just any non-Jewish people. For much of the time since 732 BC, uh, the region of Galilee had been Gentileized. The king of Assyria had gone in, they'd taken over, they'd brought in um, Gentile influence, non-Jewish influence, uh, teaching them, um, showing them customs and worldviews and, and approaches to life that were not in accordance to God's way. Now, if you were a real Jew, the Galileans are the cooties. The Galileans are, ooh, a little bit disgusting, a little bit tainted, you know, dirty, not the kind of people you hang out with. They're the wrong side of the tracks. In fact, one of the uh, apostles, Nathaniel, when he hears about Jesus, he says, wow. Can anything good come out of Galilee? Israel was meant to be a light for the nations. They were meant to show God to the world around them. God is light in him. There is no darkness. Uh, to be in the darkness is to be away from God. And, uh, and God is the source of life. And the shadow of death lies on those who are far from him. And, and, and Jesus goes into that, says Matthew here. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who lived in the land where death casts its shadow, a light has dawned. And, and John said what Jesus said. Uh, you need to repent. You're far from God. You are living in the darkness. The people of Israel were meant to be a light, but they were actually living in darkness. They needed to be told, you are far from God. God is coming and you're not ready. Now the religious elite would look at themselves and go, well, that's nonsense, I'm fine. I have my little one, one life on. And even if they didn't recognize the darkness around them, they were pretty good at looking over the, the, the hills to Galilee and going, oh, <laughs> yeah, there's the dark place. Those are the shadowlands over there. We never go there. We're good at that, aren't we? Oh, there's a little bit of darkness around me, but have you seen the darkness that surrounds Graham? Or have you seen the darkness that surrounds the people that live in whoop? Oh, how disgusting. They are obviously very, very far from God. We send missionaries or overseas, because obviously they are far from God. Robin's sister is in Cambodia at the moment, 
because well, there's horrible things happening there and we can look and go, yes, the darkness there is dark. And yes, it is. What about us? It's interesting to me that Jesus doesn't base himself in the place where, the bright, where those who think they are brightest live. Jesus turns up where the, the people living in the darkness are, where everybody says that is the dark place, that is the worst place. That is not the place where a religious person or a respectable person goes. Jesus goes there. You know, it's an amazing thing that if you, if you light a light on a dark night, that light will travel to incredible distances. I mean, just look at the, the stars in the sky and the distances they talk. Uh, I mean, some of the stars that we're seeing are probably dead and extinguished because the light has taken so long to reach us. Isn't that incredible? When it's dark, light just seems to go. Incredible distances. I wonder whether that's one of the reasons why Jesus stepped into the dark place. To give contrast to his incredible light. And there are dark places in our world. Places where God's will isn't being done, where Jesus is denied, where evil is done. Uh, But it's not always the places where we think. Galilee was a beautiful place. It was cosmopolitan. It was, it was great fishing, it, uh, fertile soil. It, it was just a rich place for, for many people. And yet, it was a place where people were prone to wander, prone to leave the God that they love. And it's exactly the same in our world and in our homes and in our lives today. I wonder whether we think of ourselves as being brighter than others. Not not needing Jesus as much as someone else. Good news is Jesus has come and his light is shining. And even the darkness around our neck of the woods cannot extinguish his his light. In the dark, we can't find our way to God. We, we don't find our way to God. None of us wakes up one moment and, gets, and says, well, I'm going to walk my way to God now. I think it's time I go to God. Because we're in the darkness. We're blinded. The God of the sages blinded the eyes of unbelievers. But the good news is that Jesus is light and that Jesus steps into the darkness. And he steps in to rescue you and I. The only reason we would ever go to God is because all of a sudden we can see that God is there to go to. And where the light shines, it demands a response. Absolutely demands it. Matthew says that from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent and turn to God for the kingdom of the heavens is near. His message, exactly the same as John's had been. Uh, uh, Repent, the kingdom is near. Get ready. Trust me. Be with me. And people have different expectations. What is this kingdom going to look like? Uh, And Jesus not only preached about it, he also taught about what it's going to be like. And, And he showed what the kingdom is like through his actions and through his character. Through what he did and what he said. 
And having come into the darkness of the world back then and our world today, we're forced to make a decision. Will we obey Jesus? Will we follow Him? Because the only way to be ready for God's kingdom, as we've said time and time again, is to be with the King. Peter later would say in John chapter 6 verse 68, Jesus, where else are we to go? You alone have words of eternal life. Only with you, only with you, Jesus, is there life. Where else would we go? And I guess the, the challenge for us, Jesus' words, repent and turn to God for the kingdom of the heavens is near, is a stronger challenge today than it was when Jesus first said Because Jesus had not yet been enthroned on the cross. Jesus has come and said, get ready, I'm, I'm here to rescue anyone who comes to me, who turns to the light, who follows me, but I am coming back is the message of the Bible, is the message of Jesus, that He will return. And now is the time for us to turn to God, because when Jesus returns, it will be too late. Are we ready for Jesus? Are we living in the light, or are we in the darkness? Is the darkness, is the light that we think we have really darkness? To be in the light is to follow Jesus no matter the cost, to join him in his mission. And this we see as, as Jesus is walking along the, the shore of Lake Galilee and he comes across these, these fishermen brothers. It's a great story, isn't it? And, and if you've been in Sunday school, you've probably heard the story of Jesus walking down and he says, um, Peter, Andrew, come along with me, I'm going to make you fishers of men. I believe there's a song, isn't there a children's song? Fishers of men, fishers of men, self men. Brilliant. And so we know, we know that, we know the song, we know the story. I will make you fishers of men if you follow me. And he goes a little bit further, and they, and they do, they leave their stuff and they follow him. And he goes further, he finds James and John, who, by the way, John is the apostle who writes about love the most, but they're also called sons of thunder, which probably means that they had the capacity to blow their top every now and again as well. So, you know, the boisterous, loud people, and, and Jesus says, follow me, and they leave their dad and the hired workers and their boat, and they follow him as well. But what we don't realize reading just Matthew is that this is not the first time that at least Andrew and Peter have met Jesus. It sounds like it. And, and Matthew is, is, leaves out the rest of it because he wants us to see how powerful Jesus is. And when he says, come, we've just got to go. But, but this is not the first time that, that they've met him. In John chapter 1, verse 35, um, Andrew and uh, another a disciple of John the Baptist, and it might even have been John or James, that they're there with John the Baptist. John the Baptist sees Jesus and says, look, the Lamb of God takes away the sins of the world, kind of stuff, and they go, wow. And they follow Jesus, and he says, what do you want? And, and, and they go, and they, they catch up with him, and they get to know him, and they follow him, and, and, and they're probably there when Jesus goes into Cana, and, you know, the, the wedding, where Jesus makes the wine and they believe him. They, they're there. They, they've seen something about him. They, they know something about him. Philip and Nathaniel had already become Jesus' followers by this stage. But they had come to trust Jesus to some degree. 
they didn't know everything about him. And for some reason, they ended up back in Galilee, back at work. They, they had gone to Jesus, followed him around a bit, seen something about him, and carried on with their life. And now we find them in Matthew at work, getting on with, with, just with life. And they don't know everything about Jesus. They don't yet believe that he is the Son of God. But they know enough that when Jesus walks up to them and says, follow me, they go, well, I'm going to follow I don't know everything about you, Jesus. But what I've seen tells me that for me to follow you is the most sensible, wisest thing that I could ever do. In those days, uh, Jewish rabbis, teachers, didn't seek out students. Uh, Students would seek them out and would attach themselves. It would be kind of the student's prerogative. Which is almost what Andrew does in John chapter 1. To Jesus. But Jesus isn't an ordinary teacher. When Jesus calls us, he calls us on his terms, not ours. He says, will you follow me and go with me on the road that I am going? Most rabbis, students attach themselves because they wanted to, to take in their wisdom and become wise teachers themselves. Following Jesus isn't just about taking in his wisdom, although they did that. It's, it's about following him. It's about walking in his footsteps. It's about being on his mission. Not just a leech on him, but, but united with him. And all of us are on a journey with God. With, with God showing us more of himself. With God calling out to us. And at some point we have to ask ourselves, well, if Jesus says, follow me, will I do that? Will I trust him? And it's not just about me inviting him into my life. It, it's, again, that's, that's a leech mentality. It's about Jesus inviting me into his life. Russell Moore says he wants to take us boldly where we've never gone before, into the life of the kingdom. He wants to take us on the great adventure. It's exactly what he means when he says, come and follow me. Let him show you the life for which you were truly made. And this is, follow me, as in become my disciple. But, but Jesus calls us various unique ways as well. He says, follow me on my mission. And what, what that looks like for you is going to be different to what it looks like for me, perhaps. He says, Andrew and Peter, I'm going to make you fishers of men. I'm going to make you catch people. I'm going to send you out to, to bring them in. But the, the unique mission that they had as apostles isn't the important thing here. 
The fishes of Menbet, I mean, that, that's important, but it's only important in as much as it follows from the prime call, which is follow me. Follow me. Do you hear Jesus saying that to you again? Perhaps for the first time, perhaps again. It might not be easy to follow Jesus. The disciples gave up their livelihoods. They risked everything to follow Jesus. Do we sometimes hear Jesus say, follow me, and we say, well, actually, I like to set the terms of this God. Um, I'll get back to you on that in my time. Or do we say, well, I'm still not 100% sure of the details, God. I'm not, I think I trust you, but I'm just working that out still a little bit. Fine if you are, but the disciples weren't 100% sure at this stage. But they knew enough to know that not going wasn't worth it. They knew enough that if they didn't risk it, they would be missing out. And if we take the risk like they take the risk, we will find that following Jesus is the only path to fullness of life. And we'll find that it's perhaps not an easy path. But it is the best path. And the question is, is it a path that we will risk taking? When Jesus shines his light into our life and into our world and shows us something, will we go, well, Jesus, I'm going to go there, or will we go, I, I just, I, I don't think I can yet, God, that frightens me, or I'm not sure, or what can I do? Have you ever had a, a, a time when, when it's, it's like you just notice something and, or you feel I really should do that and then you don't because you, you're afraid or because you're not sure whether it's right or not and you just you, you don't risk it. Look, it could be something really small. The other week we were singing a song, I think it was about falling on your knees and worshipping, and I just thought, well, I should be on my knees while we're singing this. But uh, did I get on my knees? No, because you guys were all watching. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, exactly. But we do things like that, don't we? When the light calls, when Jesus says, will you follow me, where my light shines, where I am, will we risk it? And, and yes, they left their livelihoods behind. And, and this is not me saying go and resign your jobs tomorrow uh, or hand in your pension a check tomorrow because you're going to follow Jesus. It doesn't necessarily mean you have to do that. But the question we have to ask ourselves is what cost Jesus? Are we willing to follow Jesus regardless of the cost? Jesus is free, but it can cost us. He calls us to, to, to work with him. Not just for him, but with 
Him. He says, will you be with me? I'm going to be in this with you. But, but we go, okay, Jesus, you want me to speak to my friend and tell him about you and how much, how much he, he is loved by you, but that might risk my friendship. So, maybe not. Or, or maybe Jesus shines into our lives and says, I want you to reassess your relationships on the basis of whether you'll follow me or not. And we go, but I like the way it is, God. Or maybe God says, well, um, uh, uh, the light is shining on this part of your life and, and you know that, that that's not pleasing to me and I want you to address that and follow me in that. And we go, but God, I like that. And there's a cost to giving up what we like. And the question we've got to ask is, is Jesus worth it? Will we count the cost? Will we say, I'm going to risk letting go of all these things and step into following Jesus? Is he worth it? Good. Good answer. Do you know the focus here isn't us and the focus here isn't, isn't the disciples. The focus is Jesus. Because it's not about us and our choice to follow him. It's about Jesus coming and calling to us and saying, follow me. And the adventure that he takes us on, the mission that he leads us on, is an incredible one. What we hear there, he goes preaching and teaching and healing and doing incredible things. And, uh, and uh, for those of you who like interesting facts, uh, the, the summary here in uh, chapter 4, verse uh, 23 and 25 is repeated again in chapter 9, verse 35. So all of the bit in between is speaking about Jesus teaching and preaching and healing and doing all these incredible things. It's like, here's the theory, here's, the, here's what actually happened. That's what we're getting into next week, the, the actually happened bits. Uh, and, you know, teaching and preaching are similar. Teaching is, um, uh, let me get this right because I get this one wrong. Teaching is explaining the truth to those who know something about it. Preaching is telling the truth to people who, who don't know much about it, uh, telling new truth, and, well, we know what healing is. And Jesus doesn't just heal a few diseases, he heals all diseases, and not just diseases, but spiritual diseases, and emotional diseases, anything that is wrong with people. He comes and Jesus says, I am the king, here is the kingdom, here it is. And people go, wow! And all over Syria, and all over Jerusalem, north, south, east, west, middle, everyone's walking to Galilee because all of a sudden they're seeing this Jesus and they're going, this man is incredible, and the disciples are there going, wow. We risked it. And with each passing day, we are realizing it was worth it. Were there days when they thought this is pathetic and we made a wrong choice? I reckon there were days when they came close. John chapter 6, Jesus... Well, Large numbers of disciples leave Jesus, and Jesus turns to the disciples, the apostles, and says, Are you going to leave me as well? Well, Jesus probably asked that because some of them were going, I don't know, I didn't make that choice. And that's when Peter pops up and says, Where will we go, God? You're alone in words of eternal life. There was that other time when Lazarus is dead, and, 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 and one of them pipes up, I think it was Thomas. I might be wrong, it might be Philip. Pipes up and says, Okay, you want to go now to see Lazarus? He's dead. And the people there are trying to kill you. Fine, let's go along and he can die with you. But I reckon with, with every day they came to see more and more this choice, this risk that we took on Jesus was worth it. 
The light shines into the darkness and finds an Andrew, finds a Peter, Simon, finds a James, finds a John, finds a Keith, finds a Graham, finds a Fran, finds a you, finds a me, and says, Will you follow me into the light? The more you step into the light, the more you will see the glory of my kingdom. It's going to be a risk. And you, you won't have a hundred percent. Am I doing the right thing when you step? There is a leap of, of trust. Jesus says, Will you trust me? And the only way we can grow our trust in Jesus is to actually. Read the word, get to know him better. But be with him. Where is he saying follow? What part of your life is the light shining into? Is it shining into the bit of you where you think it's the brightest? Maybe open the curtains on the dark bits to God. If you want to know a secret, God's already there. God turns up in the darkness. And he points his finger at you and he says, Let's go. We're going on a great adventure. Will you follow?